Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations. Z, we live in a confusing world, man. Very confusing. We have a lot of conflicting messages about how to conduct ourselves, about what is good, what is evil, who's right, who's wrong. Do we hate other people? Do we hate other tribes? Or do we manage our own behavior and try and get along with the world around us? And all of this discussion is amplified by social media. It's amplified by people who have a vested interest in pushing us in one direction or another. So there's a lot of bias in the information that we're receiving. Uh, We don't really have the same level of trustworthy news sources as we did in the past because there's an agenda and there's a desire to push buttons and get people's attention. And a lot of times there's a partisan slant as well, whether it's tribal or it's political. And if you couple that with the rise of AI and all of the fake news and fake information out there, sometimes you might just be scratching your head and saying, what the hell should I do? You know, whether it's my health, whether it's my relationships, whether it's my views on social issues, what is right and what is wrong? How do I want to conduct myself in this world? We talked a little bit about this last week uh, where we covered hitting rock bottom. So if you're going down a certain path, a lot of times we have to get to that point of rock bottom and there's got to be sufficient pain to cause us to change and go in a different direction. But we also talked about how that process of waiting for rock bottom can lead to a lot of wasted time. It can lead to frustration. It can lead to a lot of wasted energy. So are there ways to course correct? And can we figure out some way to get ourselves back on track and even notice that maybe we're moving in the wrong direction before we end up spending years or decades going down a path that doesn't give us anything back? So that's the topic of today. How do we make these decisions and figure out the right strategy for getting through life in these times that are very confusing? And one thing you've always said, Z, which I found interesting, you use a phrase, it's not about right or wrong. So we no longer live in a time where you can even define what's right and wrong. Maybe that existed in the distant past, but today there is no right or wrong. The only relevant question is, is what we're doing sustainable? Is it sustainable? Is it going to allow us to continue? Is it going to allow us to thrive? In a sense, is it giving us more back than we're putting in? So whatever we're doing, if it's advancing our cause, if it's giving us life, if it's helping us get out of a situation that's causing us problems, then even if there's short-term pain, maybe we sacrifice and we keep on moving forward. But if it doesn't pass that test, you know, if it's more like an energy drain and we're standing next to a black hole and it just keeps on sucking the life out of us and eventually it's going to kill us, that's not something that's sustainable. And at that point, we might say, the hell with this, I got to figure out some different path. So what I like about this Z, this concept of sustainability, it's a very simple test. And we can apply this test to a variety of situations. And it can hopefully prevent us from getting to the point where we need to hit rock bottom. You know, it's more of a mechanism that we can use to course correct along the way. So I think even though it's simple, it's a very powerful way of thinking. But I want to hear your thoughts on this. Because when you make a statement like that, that there's no right or wrong, the only question is whether it's sustainable... That's a provocative statement, and I think a lot of us might listen to that and say, what the hell do you mean there's no right and wrong? Of course there's right and wrong. There's morals. There's ethics. We get these from religion. We get this from our culture. 
Some people might say it's natural law, just respecting other people, treating other human beings with dignity. Uh, so help us reconcile the two. How is it that we want to discard this whole idea of right and wrong and just focus on what's sustainable? Then that, that is something that exists in the um, current state of our being, the state of the state of humanity. And when you sit there and you, 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 you work on your dispassion and you observe behavior, there's a few things and words you use that I want to go back to. When we talk about sustainability, I look at it from the point of view of physics, right? So if I want to sustain the speed of something, there's this theorem in, in physics that once something is set in motion, it tends to stay in motion. Something that's not in motion tends to uh, stay, stay in a state of motionless, right? And that's just our known universe. Sustainability represents the energy it takes to stop and start or to move or so forth. The thing that takes the least energy is to something to maintain a state in which it's in. It's like when you put your car in cruise control on the highway at reasonable speeds. That's when you're going to get the best mileage out of the car. There's no stop and go. It's not starting and restarting. Um, it's going to deal with certain environmental uh, variables, be it gravity or, or atmospheric things. And you're going to see, hey, I get better mileage when I'm consistent. And it takes X amount of my own energy, that is, money to buy gas, fuel, and maintenance. I'm going to get the best bang out of my buck. I can afford this. I can keep doing this infinitely. That's sustainability. And you can look at it in a lot of areas of life. And you can overlay it with many areas of life. You can be in a relationship that may not be that everything you want it to be. Is it sustainable? And, and what is the energy you're putting into it? What is the energy you're getting out of it? And right now, people often weigh relationships in a very, um, with a very uh, singular view. What does it do for me? People rarely ask, what do they do for their partner? Right? When you hear, at least when I hear this stuff and people talking, um, and you see that they're, they're already setting up things from the point of view of the physics of sustainability. This is not sustainable if you're constantly wanting more and more, but investing less and less in it or offering less and less to keep it going. That, 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 you're you're going to run out of gas or it's going to cost a lot to replace the fuel that's being used up, right? And then you're going to find yourself at a deficit. You cannot sustain a deficit that is consumptive cancerous and not renewable. So we want to look at everything in life like that and then we can make plans, we can look at the we can predict where things are headed. So with with people, um, you have certain behaviors maybe within yourself, within your family group that are outright dysfunctional. But you want to look at what is the sustainability of that. It's sustainable if I keep X amount of distance, if I don't put that much energy in. It's like dealing with weird or disturbed family members. You have the, the unit of measure which represents familiar affections. Mind you, I didn't say loving relation. I said familiar affection. You grew up around these people. You're used to them. They're part of your life story. That's what they offer you. They give context to your whole life. That's Uncle Joe. That's Aunt that's Aunt Susie, that's, you know, Cousin Geronimo, or whatever it is. 
and you may have nothing on, but you, you, you use that and it, what that costs you is a certain amount of your energy and time in order for you to have that being the contrasting aspects of your life. That's what distinguishes you from the person next to you is that you have these relatives, right? That's the family thing. So for whatever reason, from an ego point of view, we guard that. And I say it that way because we don't always nurture family relationships in a holistic, loving, caring, affectionate, compassionate way. We just assume they're family, so I can either shit on them or come see them when I feel like it or dump on them when I want to, demand that they do things that I would never do with anyone else in the world. But because we have some sort of shared story passed on generationally, here's what I'm going to do. And the sustainability comes in that where you slowly, over the years of your life, you hear from people less and less. Why do you hear from them less and less if they're so wonderful? They don't do anything for you. They don't put any gas in your tank. All human relationships are based on mutual benefit. What do I get out of you? What do you get out of me? Your children will eventually leave home when they don't have as much use for you. This isn't a bad thing. It's sustained because they need a certain amount of energy to go in and build their life. So you fulfilled your duty. You were the truck stop on the highway of life where they got to stop, refuel, uh, resupply, and move on to their, way, their inevitable destination. And so when we talk sustainability, we can talk math. How much energy do I have? How much energy does it give me? How much energy does it cost? How much can I reacquire the energy I need to put in the fuel tank of this movement, right, of this vehicle? So when we look at things like that, then we can start coming up with solutions, right? And the solutions can be local solutions, global solutions, or universal solutions. And if you think local solution is just my life, what's sustainable in my life? And that's where you get a little more self-focused and even go into maybe egocentrism, narcissism, sociopathy to some degree, because you're constantly looking at ways of accumulating resources without necessarily giving anything. And so that requires you to have like that kind of the way politicians keep going. It consumes a lot. Politicians cost a lot universally. They, they, they tax the environment, they tax people. It just, it, they're very expensive for what you're getting out of them and, and their uh, pseudo-advocacy of you. Now, when it comes to friends and relationships, you've invested so much in a relationship, and let's say you could measure that, you could quantify that with some unit of measure. And you're there because the person uh, was a part of your happiness. And for that reason, you've acquired a certain savings with them, a certain uh, capital. But they get sick all the time. Let's say they're sick all the time. So you kind of have to miss work a little bit to take care of their health or support them through something. And you go, wow, I don't know how long I can keep doing this. But I love you so much. Uh, I can, I'm going to go as far as I can till it's no longer sustainable. And that person says, I really appreciate you. I'm going to put a little fuel in your tank by doing more to take care of my health. 
So you have, let's be more specific. You might have a partner that has some mental health issue, an emotional health issue, uh, just like a health issue. And that's not fun. You'd have never clicked right or swiped left on a dating app. They said chronically ill, right? But now that you met him, hung out, you have a few good parties, things are great. I'm willing to go through, I'm willing to go into my reserves to support you. In return for it to be sustainable, that person says, I'm going to go into my reserves and work on being a better partner, healthy. And that has happened with people. You've seen that with people. You know, I saw a, a man who was a paraplegic uh, after a horrible car accident, and his wife took care of her like uh, he, nothing had ever happened. I had a cousin that that happened to who was uh, injured uh, in a car accident. And his wife and them stayed together until 35, 40 years later when he finally died. They were inseparable and they died within a few weeks of one another. And the sustainability of that is because from the beginning they had put a lot into it. They brought them a lot of joy and worth. While they were going through that, she found it rewarding being with him, even with his uh, disabilities. He found her of great value, so he made, he did whatever he could to create a pleasant uh, caregiver relationship. And they went on and lived, I mean, they, they, they were married 45 years, good God. They're able-bodied people that can't be married, be around each other 45 minutes. So you have different situations, but for those of us who are opting out, if we think about asking our question, that question, the quiet of our own mind, is it sustainable? And then you can look down the road. You can make really good projections on situations. It's like a job. Is it a dead-end job? Well, most jobs are dead-end jobs. What do they mean? That somebody owns the company. You work for them not as an associate or a partner, but simply as a serf or a servant of some kind, and they pay you a reasonable amount. And that... That where that's the exchange. It's like a, a prostitute trick relationship. For this amount of money and time, I'm going to give you this back. But don't imagine you'll ever be a part of this and you will benefit beyond what you're doing, right? And you can decide at that point, can I show up here for the next 20 years? What will it take from me? What will it give to me, right? What will it be the what will it cost me? So we can apply the sustainability idea to every interaction, every situation. You ask yourself, with people who are going through something, are they doing their part? Let's say you have a, a person that you have great familiar affection to, or you're close to, and they drain you, but they see themselves as worth it, entitled, but they're just draining you. And then you have to decide how much will I be drained. If that person has a value for you and you're, you're an integral part of their life and you, them having you in their life is important, they will make adjustments for efficiency so that it doesn't tax them that much to be with you. You follow what I'm saying? They're not taxed being with you and you're not taxed being with them. So it's a much more auspicious and economical exchange of energy 
between everyone, right? And the more we can look at that, the more we can get beyond this situation where people are drained, um, life is sucked out, emotionally, spiritually, you're completely emptied. It's like what's going on in our society, why we're becoming more and more alienated. It costs too much to deal with people based on what you get back, right? We had this discussion uh, in some weeks ago. People have all these titles now that they want to be called and labeled, you know, grand general uh, uh, polymorphic sexuality. That's, call me that before you talk. It, it, you know, it, it just takes too many words to talk to you in, re, in exchange for what I get back from you. So I'd rather not spend my energetic capital that way. So I'm going to just stay away from you. So you're starting to see more and more of that in society. And also the imposition on people's space costs a lot. The encringement of personal space. As I talk about and complain about the behavior of dog people, right? Um, that infringement upon other people's space. Yeah, Fido is cute. Your dog is cute. But not everybody likes dogs. Not everybody wants their dog up in your face or your animal, your lizard, your cat, whatever you're running around with. I just saw a woman who had raised a panther by accident, and she has a domesticated panther, and she's going to court to prove that uh, her panther is great, right? It's a panther. It's, 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 it's a black panther, okay? Um, not from the movies, not from Wakanda forever. It's an actual black panther. And this is causing an imposition on the space of... How much energy you got in the morning? Now do I have to dodge uh, wild predatory cats? And now I, I, can I just go to Starbucks and get my orange frapper lapo or whatever they have there without hurtling over all this kind of stuff? Can I just get on a plane, sit and take a ride to Florida and back or wherever I'm going without having someone who has an over need of resources. They have, they need more resources than everybody else in terms of attention, space, accommodations of their behavior, pronouncements of their being. It costs too much. So we know that's not sustainable. That's why we know we're headed in a bad direction societally. Is it cost too much to interact with people? We know in relationships, are very difficult because it costs so much when one person perceives themselves as being more valuable than the other, or that their time, their energy, who they are is much more valuable than the other person. Now you're in a constant state of deficit. Nobody is receiving, no one's giving. So again, if we start using sustainability concepts, uh, we can approach our health. If you have a sore back and you want to live your life, but that sore back costs so much for you to function, then you will want to remedy that sore back. Because if you don't, it will cause your early demise, maybe not from the back itself, but from what it costs you. Days lost at work, inability to socialize, general irritability. So you're costing more to be around other people because you're irritable. It's hard to be around. You're moody. How about if you're real moody? It costs a lot. What if you have, uh, you don't tend to your anxiety? It just costs too much to be around you. It's not sustainable because in order to be around you, I have to pour so many more resources into you. 
like pouring money down a, a endless well. And eventually I'm working so hard, I don't have a life. And my object of blame might be you as a, might be you as a target, right? So we want to think in that way. Is it sustainable? You follow me, Vin? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense, Z. I mean, it's tied to physics. It's about energy in versus energy back. And that, to me, is a pretty fundamental law. It's also simple, as we talked about at the outset. So you can gauge whether something is working. And if it's not working, is it a bridge to the other side? Or is it just a constant drain that's going to put you into the grave or completely destroy the quality of your life? Um, and so there are a couple of thoughts that come to my mind just as we're getting into this discussion. It, one is the advantage of looking at this test of sustainability. Part of it is you can manage yourself. Part is that you don't need to impose your ideas on other people because a lot of times we have certain ideas of right or wrong or the way that things should be or how people should interact. And I think this causes issues when we're dealing with people from different cultures or we end up in different countries and we look at something and we say, no, that just isn't right. You know, I don't like the way they dress. I don't like the way that they treat a certain group of people. I don't like anything about it. And it's wrong. It's morally wrong. And these are inferior people. And we got to go in there and save them. And that just leads to a lot of conflict. It leads to wasted energy. But if you take a different perspective and you think about sustainability, it broadens your view. Uh, so it means that there's more than one solution. It doesn't have to be your way. It doesn't have to be your way of talking to people, interacting with people. Uh, there could be a lot of different models. The test isn't whether it matches what you've been taught or what you've learned uh, going to your religious studies class. It's really, is this something that works? Uh, is this a system that functions and can evolve over time? Uh, or is it something that's just going to fall apart? So it, part of the benefit of taking this approach, I think, goes beyond just your individual self. Maybe it gives you more compassion, more of an understanding for different ways of being, uh, different ways of interacting with people. Uh, so that's one thought that comes to mind. I do want to get, get into this a little bit, Z, because this whole idea, I mean, the statement that you put forward, that there is no right or wrong, to me, is such a strong statement. And I get what you're saying about sustainability. Uh, I do like it. I uh, feel like it's a very useful yardstick. But how can you say there's no right or wrong? I mean, if you talk to most people, we think about fundamental principles. We think about respect for human life. We think about the commandments like don't cheat, don't steal, don't lie. This is stuff that's just ingrained in us. And it it's principles that you see across religions. It's it, These are principles that people adopt across cultures. Uh, you have social conventions that reinforce the same ideas. So why are you comfortable saying this, Z? I mean, how, help us understand why we shouldn't think about right and wrong. I'll tell you, because if we look at our world as it is in the and in, in being completely pragmatic and stoic about it. We have moved into an era of no right or wrong. And this isn't something that I have chosen 
or you have chosen. We think about the way that we word salad things and we've pushed science to the side and traded that for how, how we feel. We've traded a sensual assessment of the world with social media or uh, sort of uh, kind of politi po political uh, biasing. You said early on a word that bias. If you cannot acknowledge your own bias, it's hard for you to determine what's right or wrong. I'll give a few examples, and we all are subject to that. So I'm right now, my, my new car had to go back to the shop. So because I had had trouble with my other new car from the same dealer, they gave me another car to drive as a loaner indefinitely until they resolved the problems. That car is an electric car. Everybody runs around with the electric car. This is wonderful. It's saving the planet. It's great for the, it's green and everybody, it, it's, it's, you can virtue signal here in LA. There's, I mean, every other car is some kind of Prius, electric car. Uh, they're expensive, they're quirky, they're cool. Uh, we have $7 a gallon gas, so you can fly by the gas station. But the fact that each of those cars cost the, is causing the death of about four African children. It's in destroying the aquifer in these nations to the point where they can't grow food. But because of uh, corrupt business, both there and here and abroad, these things are allowed, things that would never be allowed in a civil society if you had any type of sense of right or wrong, any sort of decency and morals as you speak they would not allow the mining of these vehicles and the, these batteries in such a way that does generational and catastrophic damage to our planet and the communities that harvest these batteries. So I'm driving electric, I love the electric, I'm bragging about it, I get road rage, the thing is fast, I haven't had to stop at the gas station, yet in my mind I feel like as I'm sitting in that car, I'm sitting on the body of four of my relatives in the Congo. So is it sustainable? That's the question. You go to other issues. I was listening to the radio and they were talking about the general uh, relationship issues and immediately had four marriage and family counselors on there. They immediately said, oh, they blamed this on the patriarchy, toxic masculinity, and what was the other thing they always use? Um, they kept using the term cisgendered something. I don't know what that means, but apparently uh, it's a bad thing, um, according to them. So there was no counterpoint. There were four people, and I, I didn't care. I just enjoy uh, listening in and some sort of like, uh, I have like a purian interest in watching the porn of the ignorant. And I'm listening to this, and they said, I said, whenever they say toxic, masculinity, they never say toxic femininity. Whenever they talk about the patriarchy, they never talk about the matriarchy. So how will there ever be harmony? So all they're promoting is divisiveness. They weren't promoting right or wrong. They were promoting meism versus iism. Neither, none of them had any real working solutions to find a harmonious path for people to have healthier relationships. None of them had that. None of them. And each expert was pandering to the others for likes, for friendliness. 
and the people they were quoting were mainly celebrities that have nothing to do with anyone's lives. So you're not looking for moral guidance, ethical guidance. You're looking for trends, to be a part of trends. Celebrities are celebrities because you make them celebrities, not because they've offered anything to humanity or, or uplifted humanity in any way. They've done something in the media, something in theater, and some of them have just done things that are shameful and became famous. Why are they giving us advice? So there's no good or bad. So that's what I'm saying. There's no right or wrong. There's no good or bad. Can it keep working? So we look at the state of politics. On both sides of the aisle, you have felon felonious activity. But if you ask one side or another, they say, no, it's okay because it's my side. So right and wrong is gone. There's no rule anymore. There's nothing you can write down. You cannot discuss with people of certain groups the activities of their group, right? So America has no footing to discuss human rights with anybody anywhere in the world. The Canadian Parliament just jumped up and cheered a, the, the, the last Nazi fighter from, from Ukraine who lives in Canada now. He was the last Nazi to exterminate people. They gave him a standing ovation in the Canadian Parliament. So are Nazis good or are they bad? They were bad until the U.S. and the West supported Ukraine. Then people say, oh, no, 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 they're against Donald Trump or whatever, they're for, whatever it is. They, so there is no right or wrong. Is it my side or your side? I was talking to an old friend about time, and we were recalling events of the past, and I immediately said, I have a biased view because I'm talking from my perspective, and you're talking about She said, no, no, it's not bias. That's what happened. People don't understand bias is that we cannot see the world the way another person sees it. And the only way to have an ethical concept, a moral concept, um, a decent concept, a concept of equanimity, is acknowledge your own bias. But people don't. If you want to test me, ask people who support Israel whether Israel is committing human rights violations. First, ask, what is a human rights violation? What would be an egregious thing to do to a human being? And then you could take a picture and say, this is egregious. Then you tell them who they are, and they say, well, that's not that bad. These people deserved it. The U.S. does that all the time. People in America do that all the time. Is gunboat diplomacy okay? Is it okay to go to somebody with a gun and order them to do something? Oh, no, that's horrible. But if your country does it, if you send soldiers, if non-combatants, people who would never sacrifice for their nation, send people would to commit atrocities, all of a sudden they're not atrocities. So, Vin, I could go on and on with this in every area of life, and you could see where right or wrong does not exist anymore. Is it sustainable? That's the only question we're asking. So you pick any area of our known life and ask me, what about right and wrong? And I will show you why we are incapable of that. You follow me? Yeah, I mean, from a societal standpoint, I definitely follow you. There are a ton of contradictions. There is the bias that you're talking about. There are people who are looking for affirmation and who are virtue signaling, who don't care about the truth. Uh, the hypocrisy is incredible. So 
all of the problems you mentioned, I agree with completely. But it, to me, that's a, a general problem. Uh, it, I mean, that, that's just a dynamic of the world that we live in. So it, it, why does that apply to ourselves? I mean, if we're the opt-outs, if we're the ones who are supposed to be above all of that or be able to step back and dispassionately observe what's going on, why for ourselves, for our own sanity, for the way that we manage ourselves and conduct ourselves day to day, uh, are there any absolute standards? I mean, again, oh, yeah. forget about the, oh, rest man, of the world, I, I wanted, but just for I, me. Let me correct. I'm just saying for those who are opting out, yeah, we have a real clear sense of what's right and wrong because we understand the boundaries of our own selves. The bi- It doesn't work for us. It doesn't. When we're looking for the, a sustainable avenue and an escape from this diastopian situation, we have to carry ourselves in a different way. You have to excuse yourself from the, the room when things get weird. You have to exit the clown car of foolishness that's going on. That's an opt-out. You don't sit there and engage these people. You know what we do. We immediately leave the room when it gets weird. When the clown car empties, we get the hell out of there. But for those of us who are striving for that, if you have familiar bonds and affection to that behavior, you will find ways of immersing yourself in the stink of that and becoming like those people, like those situations. Like I said, I drive an electric car with my eyes wide open, right? I know that my lone dissent or protest would be very ineffective. So I can channel my limited resources elsewhere um, and, and, and try to make a change where I can, try to make up for my own carbon lithium footprint and in another way. But that's me. That's my moral standard. And why is it that? Because what I want to do is generate a lot of human commerce. So one of the things that I've been able to do over my lifetime, not have a caring resentment, not having a lot of ill will towards people, is I have a lot of good relationships with people throughout the world. So that to me is sustainable. So that is something that I've invested in and why I behave the way I do. I am not a Puritan, I'm not a moralist, I'm not a religious fundamentalist or any of that. I do honor my own truth and I bias my own consciousness with looking at how it affects the rest of the world. So I'm very much into being able to change my behavior if it's necessary in the situation I'm in so I can be adaptive and again, have a lower footprint of damaging my environment, uh, the physical and ecological environment, but also my social, spiritual, and communal environment. So I don't want to be part of the problem, right? So there are ways to do that. I want to be part of the solution. That's what opt-outs are trying to do, right? And we know what fights we can invest in, as, as, as the Art of War tells us, we know how to avoid petty skirmishes. They're not worth it. So when it comes to things like maybe your family is the best example. First thing is heal yourself. Secondly, heal those near you. And most healing takes place by example, right? And human commerce <coughs> is one of the greatest credit ratings you will ever have, is your social credit rate. Not like the Chinese, what they're doing right now in China, which is coming to the U.S., by the way. That's coming to the U.S., by the way. So, so that is something right there.
so yeah, Ben, so those of us who are opting out, we're doing this to save our soul, save our own. It's, it's our SOS, man. We see what's going on. Uh, we want to look at this world uh, through uh, the eyes unobstructed by attachment, biases, nationalistic views, or those that are programmed to us. We're not going to run out and eat um, uh, factory meat. and We're not trying to um, uh, degenderize our children. And whatever your opinions are on that or your opinions, my big point is that does your life view have to impose upon mine? If you're demanding that people call you a certain thing, can, I, can you accept that I just want to be left alone? And when I hear these kinds of conversations, is there a way I can leave the room? And I wish not to offend, but I can't control whether a person's offended. And so the more that we divorce ourselves from that, divest from it, the more we're on a healthier path of sustainability. Again, ask yourself, can you keep doing it in a world where there is no right or wrong? You follow me, Vin? Yeah. Yeah. Some of it is very clear. I mean, there are certain situations, uh, for example, if you're gaining weight and you need a cane to get around and then you go from a cane to a wheelchair and you go from a wheelchair to a flatbed and then eventually you're so big, you need to rent a truck to haul your ass around and you just don't have enough money to pay for it. Then clearly you can see what the progression is. You might say, this isn't sustainable. My food bill is out of control. I'm spending $10,000 a month. So I have to do something else. So there's certain things that I think are very clear if we're able to step back and assess the situation. There are others where either it's not clear or maybe we've blinded ourselves by hope. And so you think about relationships and there's always this idea that someone's going to change. You know, if I just put in enough effort and enough time and show them how much I love them or I care about them or support them, uh, they're really good inside. They're going to get past their addiction or whatever the problem is. Uh, they're uh, going to stop cheating on me all the time with prostitutes. Uh, it's a one-time thing. So I'm just going to keep on going. I just need to work a little bit harder to make this happen. Or let's say you're at work. You use that example, Z, of going to work and how most jobs are dead end, which I think is right. But, you know, you might have the idea okay, they didn't pay me this year because it was a down year and I know that things are tough, but they keep on telling me what a good job I'm doing and they keep on patting me on the back. And I know if I just stick it out, one day things are going to be okay and they value me. Uh, so they're going to make me whole. Uh, they're going to come through with a big bonus and I'll be able to buy my house and move my family in there out of some one-bedroom apartment. So... A lot of times we have these ideas about how life is going to turn out or what might happen, because in many situations, we don't know. Uh, that's a reality. Uh, so if you know what's going to happen and you can see it very clearly, it's easy to judge what's sustainable and what's not. But if either there's some uncertainty around that or you've convinced yourself that things are going to turn out a certain way because you want that to happen so badly, then it becomes a little more difficult to figure out what's sustainable and what's not sustainable. And then we get in the same situation where you put in all this time and effort hoping for a certain outcome, but it doesn't happen. And it's kind of like, well, do I pull the plug on this or do I keep on going in this direction? I put in so much time and effort. Maybe I'm not that far away, but I don't really know. And I'm never going to know for certain. So there's always that uncertainty piece, Z, that we're dealing with when we're even judging whether something is sustainable. So given that, I mean, if we're in that reality 
What's your advice? How do we deal with that? Well, well you use different assessors just like we did. Um, and, and you look at the cost of things, the energetic unit of cost. So relationships have ups and downs, for example. You want to get really into one of the harder, more difficult areas. And you ask, on this journey, can we sustain a partnership on this journey? Are you rowing your part of the boat and I'm rowing mine? If I'm rowing both parts of the boat, are you feeding me and giving me water while I'm rowing so that I can do that? And they are real simple uh, structures of assessment you can put. You can use that, that intimate algebra. What are you getting out of this? It's kind of like um, the idea of nurturing uh, things that, that bring you joy and happiness or bring your partner that. You can ask yourself stuff like, do you enjoy the joy of your partner enjoying you? Think about that. Do you enjoy your partner enjoying you? If that is so, you do things that allow you to be more of that which they enjoy or to maintain that, to keep it fresh. Do you value your partner and would like to them to be in your life? Yes, okay, what are the things you need to do to do that? What are, what are your liabilities? So if you have health liabilities, what do you do to compensate for that so that there is this health? Now, what will stop you from being able to do that algebra is the ego. And one of the most beautiful things you can do to suppress the ego is practice low self-esteem. What do you mean, practice low self-esteem? Well, we typically over-esteem ourselves. That's what emotional, spiritual, and mental dysmorphia is all about, even before you get to physical dysmorphia. You think you're great and okay, right? You think when you get up in the morning, your breath smells better than everybody else's, right? You think that whatever you're doing is a little bit classier. Tell yourself it's not. Adjust the bias meter, re-index it, and, and lower the volume on that and work on your stuff. And if you have mental health issues, maybe you're a rageaholic, maybe you have anxiety, maybe you have depression, can you acknowledge that and say, you know what, I'm going to be depressed for no particular fucking reason because I have chemical imbalances and I'm kind of, uh, it's kind of quirky. I got some quirks. So I'm going to allow you to step away I can maintain this quirk, and I'm doing this because I want you to be there when I come out of this episode. And then I'm going to do compensators. I'm going to do, when I'm not in those episodes, I'm going to make it so worth being with me that I have an energetic cushion, some energetic overages. I have an, uh, some uh, emotional IRAs or whatever I can give you that add to my value so when I'm in a bad state, when I'm reducing my value, there's such a reserve of good energy that that's okay, right? That's what you call healthy relationships. Say, I've been through that. Let's say you, you, your, your partner has a baby or something, right? You're not getting time with that person for a while, but prior to having that baby, you guys had such a wonderful good time together it was so cool that you can deal with that time where you're, you're like sharing your partner uh, with the infant that needs the booby or something and you need it too. 
And you can just go, oh, that's so cute. Okay, I can deal with this. But what if you were hooked up with a sea hag and things just weren't going well from the beginning? Now you've added that to it. Uh, that's too much. And I guess on the woman's side, if she has some guy that's uh, barely functioning, but he's able to cheat or, or go hang out with his buddies, but he's not able to do things around the house. Eh, but what if he does all the things right? And more than that, he takes care of you and everything. And every now and then he goes on a drunken rage with his buddies. That's okay. Right? I'm just using that as an example. I'm not saying everybody's doing that. Just using that as an example is that there's always the exchange and you want to find what is an equanimity of exchange or harmonious change. And then, and just face it, face it like an adult, be a real grown up, and nobody is perfect or absolute. Work on yourself. Most problems within a family or within a couple, if people would just work on their own shit, if they work on their own stuff, life would be better. But oftentimes the ego prevents that. We think we're great and wonderful and that everybody else is the problem. That's not sustainable. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I think it comes back to a lot of the the same theme that uh, we talk about on this podcast, uh, putting the ego aside, keeping that in check, understanding that you're not the center of the universe. And as we talk about it, I almost think of it as a system. And I do this with my family, which actually works out pretty well. When I look at what I want versus what you know, how much time I want to spend doing things that are important to me versus what the family needs. I try and look at it from the standpoint of a system engineer. So someone who's looking at the whole thing and I'm part of that system. So I'm the architect, but I'm also part of the system and I've got my own needs. I got to make sure that I do things that are going to advance my objectives. I got to make sure that I maintain my, my own health and my own sanity and doing th do things that are going to give me some peace of mind so I don't go insane. Uh, but I've also got to make sure that my kids are taken care of. I've got to make sure that my wife is supported and loved and the entire system is functioning properly. So if I take that perspective, that's something that, that helps me. And, and, and it's sustainable. And it's sustainable because it doesn't necessarily drain the shit out of you. But when there's added load to that or there's undue load or there's, there's stressors or, or parasitic losses, due to nothing that is redeeming, that's where you have dysfunction. And that's what you work on, right? You know, over the last weekend, uh, it was my birthday. And so my wife comes to me last week and she says to me, because she's into all that. I, I don't remember anniversaries, none of that stuff. I barely remember my own birthday. It's not that interesting to me. Um, so she comes to me uh, a week before my birthday and says, okay, now that we've been together for many, many years, I understand you. I was fighting it for a long time. I wanted to plan surprise parties and all this. You don't like any of that stuff. My attitude is every day is my birthday. So whatever we're going to do, let's do it today. Let's not make an annual thing of it. Let's celebrate life in the moment of life because I've been through too many sudden losses of people that I love. and for. So, it's, so it's, my trauma has created a certain art. So I said, she said, what do you want to do for your birthday? I said, nothing. I don't, want to, I don't want to do anything. Uh, I would like to have sex all the time, but since that's not possible uh, based on your energetic expression, give me as much as you can. I just want to hang out 
I don't want to have to answer the phone. I don't want to have to do anything, right? Let me make this real clear. I want to lay up. If you want, I wanted to give me a present, I want to just lay up just one day that there's no crisis, no emergency, no schedule, just that day. But if I get it, that's great. If not, I'll keep going. So she tells me a few days before my birthday, okay, I booked a room. I booked a room at some nice hotel and we got uh, babysitter, my nephew, going to come over. They're going to keep the kids all night so we don't have to be back home till 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon. So from, from what was it? From 1 o'clock in the afternoon to 1 o'clock in the afternoon on your birthday day and the day after. We just hang out. Go for dinner, hang out. Netflix and chill. I think that's what Caitlin calls it. And so that's what we did. And it was just like, wow, I felt completely recharged. That was great. I say, if we, this is just sustainable. I, that, I, I just wanted to do nothing. My, my life is hectic, stressful. There's, we're juggling things constantly. It's, it's like being on, we're on, we're on the 405 going north and south. It's just, wow. And I got a rhythm in it. I found a way to manage it. But if you want to give me something, give me a break. Give us a break. And she did it. And it was one of the best birthdays I've had in years. I can't remember having a better birthday. So if we listen to each other, value one another. Yeah, that's a recipe for happiness. So leave me the hell alone. Yeah. For some people, Vin, yeah. How would you feel if you had a day? Yeah, I'd feel pretty good. <laughs> So it's just kind of funny. I'm talking about a real day off. Mm. Everything's taken care of. We don't need you today, Vin. Mm. Wouldn't that be great? Go work on your music. Go hang out. Go check out some um, speakeasies where you want to do another show. Right? Yeah. Nobody's going to call you and bother you. There's no, re no urgent messages, no crises. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's another lesson around this. It feeds into this uh, whole idea of what's sustainable. You can't sustain nonstop activity. Uh, you, you need some some time. You can't be on call. You can't have people invading your personal space. Uh, you can't have uh, demands placed on you nonstop. Uh, sometimes you just need to create some boundaries and some space and do what you're saying. Uh, just hang out and relax for a little bit. And then you come out of that, you feel recharged. You can get back to the grind open up the studio, do whatever you have to do. But, but you notice something, Vin, even talking about that to people, it creates tension in their body because it's, it's non-conceptual. The concept of a day of being left alone for your loved ones. Everybody get together and provide a break for the person you love. Whatever they say that is, not what you say it is. Because I've gone on vacations that were just like, I need a vacation after the vacation. That's not a vacation. Like these poor people that go on tourist things and they're just this uh, kind of this machine gun uh, staccata pace of going to this thing and that thing. That's not fun at all. You got to go home and sleep for a day after your vacation because it was so exhausting. Yeah, dude, I I'm going to talk to Anissa. I'm going to make sure the next day off you have, I'll, I'll take you to Disney. No, no. We can hang out and relax over there. Yeah, yeah. People try that, Van. This is the real deal. People really try. Don't you want to go to 
somewhere where it's super crowded with a lot of people and you never get space or air and you have this wait in long lines. No, that, that's not a good time to me. Anywhere large groups of people are going, I want to go the other way. Don't you want to go to Burning Man? No. No, I don't. And I'm glad they got drowned in the flood. I don't want to go there. It makes me hate people more. I don't want to hate people more. I want to be chill. Yeah. So yeah. that's hey, it, man. Z, why don't we wrap up over here? I've got to go to an event to sustain my marriage. Well, wrap it. Wrap it. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that it's interesting what we're talking about. On the one hand, it sounds insane. I mean, if, I, if I'm honest and we talk about how there's no right or wrong, just on the surface, that sounds crazy. But maybe it is the time that we live in. Maybe it's the fact that we're in this world where no one's really paying attention to the consequences of their actions, where there's duplicity, people lie to your face, where image is more valuable than substance. And if that's where we are, we need a different guide. So sustainability is a good one. It makes a lot of sense. It makes sure that we've got the energy that we need to keep on going, uh, keep on getting through life, keep on advancing our own personal mission. And I would just say, in closing, Z, to do that, we got to do what we always do. Keep the ego in check, step back, and take that 50,000-foot view of what can we do? How can we organize the pieces? How can, how can we create the right boundaries, the right interactions to get to that point of sustainability? Yeah, and so, again, we'll close with that. Let's not think about right or wrong sustainability, but in your own heart, you know what your limits are. You know what's right and wrong. And as we look at how it affects society, how it affects the planet, because we, we, we no longer can call out people's personal responsibility, you see the health is collapsing around the world. We've accepted all manners of, of dysfunction as normal. Uh, the other day, I guess yesterday in the Canadian Parliament, the Canadian Parliament were actually cheering a Nazi soldier. Um, that's where we've gone with the world because everybody got into the hype, hype, hype about Ukraine and their anti-this and anti-that. I'm not into politics at all, people. But please think, whenever you hear people going to rescue the children or promote human rights, they're doing the opposite. That's what we do know. Stay away from it, stay out of it, uh, because somebody will have heard something else and they'll become your opposer, even if they have no facts or details, or the wrong person will say it, and because you don't like that person, you can't join their side even if they're right. That's what I mean. No right, no, no good, no bad, no right, no wrong. Is it sustainable? So let's be careful out there. Thanks a lot. I'll see you soon. Go to Dharma Media. Uh, check out the Century Project, My Century Project, where more stuff is coming up. Also check out Line with the Mic. The shows are great. The production is great. The words are needed. All right. Peace. If you enjoyed the show, Please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.